Our scripture reading this morning is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 987 in the Blue Bibles that are in your seats. Before I read, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless Pastor Chris as he speaks to us, and we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding and grace to be your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father the son he delights in. This is the word of the Lord. play off Shakespeare, to trust or not to trust? That is the question. I want you to turn to somebody around you and just say a characteristic of someone who is trustworthy. So think of someone you trust and, and look to the person around you and say, this is, this is what makes a person trustworthy. Any characteristic. Okay, now I want you to do the opposite end. What makes a person untrustworthy? Someone that you know, I can't trust that person. Don't say any names. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> but just a characteristic of someone who is untrustworthy. One of the people in my life who I found to be trustworthy uh, was my mom's mom, Grandma Lafleur, and and.
these verses, five and six, were, were grandma's favorite verses. She wrote them at the end of every card or letter. Could be a birthday card, could be an anniversary card. Didn't matter, these verses somehow got scribbled on there. Uh, and, and so uh, I'll read them again so they're in our ears. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. It's quite a, a promise, I'm sure, at graduation time as, as that's around this time of year that's going to show up in cards that you give to people or you receive from people. There's this sense of, of God's faithfulness being promised in this, that, that God's going to take care of us. And that's right and true, and we're going to come back to that. But there's way more to this text than just these verses. These are verses that are, are embedded in a much larger uh, uh, piece of Scripture, and, and it's important for us to recognize some of the scope of that as we enter into this call to trust the Lord this morning. It, it starts off with, My son! And if you read closely, it ends with, Like a father to the son. A father who disciplines their son. There is in this passage, verses 1 through 12, some boundaries being put around it. And, and it's really a, a, a father. Maybe picture this. A, a father and son walking along the beach. They're just taking a stroll together and the father says, Son, I got some things to tell you. Listen up for a few minutes. And he starts to share with him the accumulated wisdom that the father has learned in life and he's passing it along to his son saying pay attention and we really could go each set of, of, of verses here they're, they're kind of in pairs we could walk through this and, and end up talking about finances and relationships and wisdom and all sorts of things because the father is passing it along to his son but one of the first things he, he says verse 3 is something we need to pay attention to in order to understand this call to trust the Lord. He says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Love and faithfulness. A word for love, we've talked about it here before. It's, it's a Hebrew word, chesed. Everybody say that, you get the guttural going, chesed. Yeah, chesed. Chesed is not translatable into the English. There is no English equivalent. You can't just take a one-for-one -one word connection. It is so much more than love. When you think of love, we tend to go to a romantic love or, or maybe kind of a, a deep friendship love. This goes way beyond that. It's most often in Scripture associated with God's character. If you recall the story in Exodus 33 and 34, uh, it's just after the, the incident where, where the, the golden calves happened. And Moses and God are talking, and, and Moses says, God, you've got to go with us. And God says, yes, I'll go with you. And, and then at the end of that, God says, in fact, I'm going to show myself to you. I want you to come up on the mountain so I can reveal myself to you. And when I pass by, I'm going to say my name. And as God passes by him, he says, the Lord, the Lord, 
who is abounding in love. That phrase, abounding in love, is trying to connect to this idea of hesed. It is God's very character. God is the one who abounds in love. He overflows with love. We're not always sure, the, the translators from the Hebrew into the English aren't always sure how to translate this word. And so sometimes you'll see loving kindness. Sometimes you'll see abounding love. Sometimes you'll even see covenantal, uh, that word, which, which we're not quite sure what to do with. And it, it, it's all in this idea of chesed. The author says, the father says to his son, never let chesed leave you that character of God. Don't let it be far from you. But he doesn't say chesed by himself. He also says emet. Emet. It gets translated off, more often as truth than it does faithfulness. But both get used. It really has a covenantal faithfulness idea to it. Emet is is a word that, that appears in the context of a covenant. This is truth, or this is the reality of our relationship, is what it's saying. Emmet is kind of that base foundation. It, it is tied um, to, probably in the older English, a word we don't use too often anymore, but betrothed. That word troth in the middle is a truth that is relational. And part of what it's doing is saying truth is not the facts in the situation. Truth is the relationship of the people in the situation. Keep Hesed close. God's covenantal loving character. Never let that leave you. And keep, keep Emmet. Keep Emmett so close to you, that, that underlying understanding that it's, it's relationship you have with others. That is the foundation. Keep those things close. In fact, it says, bind them upon your neck. I saw a preacher once who took out old slave shackles and actually put the shackle on his neck and said, bind it. Tie it up tight. Have it be so present that people can't help but go, whoa, what's going on here? I thought about putting on two ties and I thought, that's too much. I don't even wear one tie. But, but putting on two ties, it would almost be like wearing two ties, that you would have one tie that says, says love on it, and the other that says faithfulness, and you walk around with those. It's so visible and out front. Everybody would notice it, and you just go about your day, and they keep looking at you. What's going on? Why well, he's got two ties? Love and faithfulness should be so obvious that it would be just like wearing two ties around your neck. It's really an external focus. Bind them around your neck. Make this hesed and this emmet, visible to the people around you. Let it permeate your relationships. Let it spill over into every conversation you have, every interaction you have. Let it be so visible, it's like having two ties tied around your neck. I dare somebody to walk in with two ties next week Sunday. 
But the other side, he follows that up. Not just bind them upon your neck. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. Get them inside of you. That space where nobody else sees. You know that place where you keep your hopes and your dreams? The ones, not the ones you casually talk about, but the ones you don't dare talk about because if they don't come true, you know you're going to be crushed? Those hopes and dreams. In that space, write God's character. Chesed. Write God's covenantal faithfulness. This relationship bond, emmet. Let love and faithfulness dwell there. Getting inside of you. I mean, this really gets at the baseline of trust, doesn't it? It's really hard to trust somebody if in your heart you're angry with them. It's really hard to trust somebody if in your heart what you're holding on to is fear. Fear that, that things might unfold in a bad way. Fear that you're not going to, to be able to survive the challenges that you find yourself in. Fear that you're never going to get beyond the grief that's holding you. Fear that the sin you have been trying to get out of for the last 10 years is going to hold on to you for another 20. Fear that gets into you and hits you in those places of loneliness and doubt and worry and anxiety. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Not only those places that you hold your hopes and dreams, but those places where the deepest pains and fears reside. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? Let love and faithfulness penetrate the inside. I'd much rather wear two ties. <laughs> it's much harder to be vulnerable. It's much harder to say, folks, I need help because I'm struggling in this area and this is the space I don't yet believe in God's love. I'm not trusting God's faithfulness in this relationship. My boss has ticked me off one too many times and I can't trust that God is bigger than my boss today or my spouse or my kid's anger or, or, or. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's heavy, isn't it? Who of us can do it? Can we really trust in the Lord with our whole heart? Can we really leave any uh, stone unturned type thing in our own heart that, that we can say, Lord, even this pain is yours. I trust you with this. Even this story of my life, this sin that I keep hiding, even that I trust with you, Lord. I turn it over to you. Can we turn those broken spaces of our lives over to the Lord and trust? I want us to do a, a short exercise together. Everybody, raise your hands. Make fists. Henry Nouwen is a great theologian. Talks about prayer as a process of starting like this. 
We come before God with our frustrations, our angers, our pain, and we are holding on to him tightly. Sometimes we come to him with our righteousness. God, I'm right and she is wrong. Change her. My church is right and the church down the road is wrong. Change them. Lord, I'm right and the government's wrong. Change it. And we start with these clenched fists. Now one says the process of prayer is doing this. Lower your hands and slowly start to open them so that by the end of the prayer, we're saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. One of my mentors talked about how in the Hebrew language there's close to 13 different words related to prayer. And most of them are assigned a physical position. Some of them actually laying straight out flat on the floor. Some of them have to do with crying out. It's a, a deep guttural vocalization of a, a, almost a yelling at God and with God. But they're, they're related to physical postures. I invite us this week as we respond to this call to trust the Lord, just to practice this, start our prayer with clenched fists. Go sit in a quiet place in your house where no one else is going to see you if you need to. Start with the clenched fists and throughout your prayer, slowly move them down and open your hands. And as you do that, pray that the Lord takes the anger and the hurt and the bitterness and those things that are difficult for you to trust the Lord with and allow you to open your hands so that the Lord can take them. We have reason to believe that the Lord can actually move us through this. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Derek, it's the word for ways. All your ways, Derek. It has to do with with little dirt paths and trails, but most often it's used in Scripture as a, a metaphor for what you're doing, moment-by-moment moment decisions, how you're walking, uh, how you're talking with people, how you're interacting. It, it becomes kind of a general word for the way you do things. Uh, and, and in all your ways, acknowledge him. And it adds to it, and he will make your paths straight. And the interesting part is here, here, the author of Proverbs switched to a different word for paths. He could have used Derek again. It would have made sense to use Derek both times. But here he switches to the word orah. And orah has to do with well-trodden paths. In fact, the word for caravan and the word for kind of the merchant traveler that they had in those days was based on orah. It, it's someone whose habits, again and again, who, who this was their way of life. They were the people who walked the paths, up and down the paths. They were the ones who walked. And so it has this, this well-trodden path, and it's often used to talk about reputation or the whole scope of someone's life. If you'd sum up all the little derricks, all the little ways, you get the orah, the whole scope. And I love the combination that plays out in this verse here. In all your little ways, in each little moment, acknowledge God. And he'll take care of the big picture, folks. He's got the whole scope of your life. When you are at death's door and you look back, you'll say, Wow, wasn't God faithful? 
in all your little ways, little moments, acknowledge God, and he will direct or control or watch over your paths, your whole life. Jerry Sitzer is a kind of philosopher, education guy, takes a, a look at how we, how we live life well and how we teach well, and he tells a number of stories about little things. And I was talking to my wife about it, who's interacted with his material quite a bit, and he tells a story of a, a basketball coach said, I'm going to teach you how to play the game of basketball. And the first thing I'm going to do is have you sit down and learn how to put on your socks. Now, if you, even if you're not a sports person, all right, if you're not a sports person at all, you can understand a little bit how ridiculous that sounds. We're going to learn to play the game of basketball by learning how to put on our socks. As people looked at him puzzled, the coach said simply, because in the middle of the game, you won't have time to pull up your socks. You need to learn to do it well. It's those little basics that we are called to learn to do well. Pay attention to the little things. Learn to give attention to the way you speak to the people around you. Learn to give attention even to your facial expression when someone says something that confuses you. We're doing this in our house, and I've threatened, not done it yet, but threatened to take the mirror off the wall and hold it in front of my children. And the reason I haven't done it is because I'd have to do it to myself, too. Right? Someone says something we don't understand, and our first response is, Huh? What? So my mom said, No, it's pardon." Pardon me. Excuse me? I didn't understand that. And get a gentleness even in those facial muscles. In the little things, learn to embody God's love and faithfulness. Not because we can make all of our life conform to Christ on our own. Not because we can do it all on our own, but because we are confident that as we learn these little moments and little spaces of pulling up our socks and learning how to be graceful with our facial expressions, that God is actually at work directing the whole of our lives. God is holding on to us in the midst of of the ups and downs, in the midst of the meandering, in the midst of, of what feels like lives that don't often make sense. And God's saying, I've got you. So much so, Jesus uses these words. I am the way. I am the Derek. I am the Ora. The truth. And the Emmet. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is God's chesed in the flesh. Think of John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is the chesed and the emmet to us. He is the way, the aura, that God is saying, I've got you. I'm not letting you go in the little moments or in the big thing. I'm watching over you. You can trust me. And the disciples say, 
We don't know where you're going. That's their response to this. We don't know where you're going. Tell us. I'm with you. The Father is with you. I've got you and I'm not going to let you go. And in fact, if you read the rest of John 14, Jesus ends up saying, in fact, even when I'm absent from you, my spirit will be with you. I will be with you. I won't leave you. In the midst of all your little ways, I've got you. And he adds to that. Jesus remained faithful even to the point of death on a cross. Think Philippians 2, right? This great story of, of, of who Christ is and telling how Christ, who is equal to God, didn't consider his position something to be used to his own advantage. But he humbled himself. Literally, he emptied himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. God's emmet, his faithfulness, is in Jesus Christ so that we start to see that, that God is true to his word. God is, God is faithful to do what he has said he will do. He is going to hold on to us at all costs. He's not going to even let our sins separate us from him. He's going to enter in. He's going to bear the consequences of our sin. He's going to take it on himself and make it possible for us to be in relationship with him again, to be restored and reconciled. Jesus is God's chesed and emmet. In Jesus, God reveals in a very loud way, you can trust the Lord with all your heart because the Lord has not held anything back from us, including his own son. Three things as we go forward. Areas that perhaps over the summer we can work on together. One is, in response to God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ, his loving kindness to us, that we would renew our hearts so that we desire God's love and faithfulness. Over the summer, beginning the first Sunday in July, and then I'm preaching seven times between July and August, in those seven times, we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins. But we're not just going to talk about the sins. We're actually going to talk about how God calls us to live holy lives in the presence of these temptations. We're going to use a book called Glittering Vices by Rebecca Canondike de Young. Uh, there'll be more announcements and more details coming out. I think an announcement already went in the e-bulletin this week. But we're going to look at this. What does it mean to create our lives, some space in our lives, where we can cultivate the love and faithfulness that Christ showed us? that we can grow in this ourselves, have our heart's desires change. Second, with this new character, how do we pursue love and faithfulness in our relationships with one another? I don't have the immediate answer of, of where that's going to start for each of us. For some of us, it may really be learning to guard our mouths and the way we speak and a discipline like learning the discipline of silence an old discipline in the life of the church. Maybe that's what some of us will need. Maybe some of us will discover along the way that, that in our relationships, not just with food, but in our relationships, we're gluttonous. It's all about us and what we can consume, and it's not about the other person. And we're going to have to learn something like the discipline of fasting 
help us learn how to relate to others with peace and contentment rather than consuming. I don't know, but this will be a question in front of us. With this new character of Christ, how do we pursue his love and faithfulness in our relationships with one another? And the last, how do we as a community, and maybe this is where we can end up at the end of the summer, saying together, how do we as a community embody this love and faithfulness with our neighbors and our families in the city around us? How do we actually, as a whole, as a people who are being transformed by the gospel, live in such a way that the city and world around us is renewed in Christ? It's our vision here. That's why God has gathered us together. And it's where we're headed over this summer. Let's pray. Lord, as we confessed earlier, we know that we cannot live faithfully and full of hesed. We fall short so many times. Some of us are already thinking of ways that we fell short just on the way into church this morning. And we know that by the time the day is done, others of us will have fallen short in other ways. Forgive us. Wrap us into that chesed and that emmet of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to experience your grace once again and, and to allow you into those spaces of our lives where you can transform us where you can make us whole and make us holy. We pray this not for our glory, but for your glory and your honor, that the whole world may come to know that they can trust you even as we learn to trust you. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. It really is not about us and whether or not we perfect trusting in the Lord. It is about God's faithfulness again and again and again. And because it is about God's faithfulness, I'm inviting us to stand and sing together praise to the Lord, the Almighty.